0: Taste podcast is brought to you by Accounting Buds. Accounting Buds is a special breed firm formed to meet the unique needs of the cannabis industry. Why do you need a specialized firm? Because cannabis is still illegal on a federal level. So plant-touching businesses, even ancillary, you need an accountant who is up to date on constantly changing regulations. Accounting Buds offers a range of services, including full bookkeeping, reconciliation, and monthly reports. You can even get a virtual CFO, an experienced chief financial officer to manage budgeting, forecasts, growth, and expansion, all with monthly analytics. They also offer advisory services to help you build teams, systems, strategies, whatever your financial needs. Accounting Buds will help your business have its best year ever. And now listeners of the Trailblazon with Tara Masu podcast get a free consultation. Just mention you heard about them here. For more information, visit AccountBuds.com. That's spelled A-C-C-T-B-U-D-S. That's A-C-C-T-Buds.com.
1: You're about to get insider access to cannabis industry experts, entrepreneurs, activists, and living legends. Meet the people who live and blaze this life every day and are about to change the world. <laughs> Now your host, the founder of Blazin' Bakery, New Jersey's first edibles company, with over a decade of national advocacy, sales, connections, and adventures behind her. A true trailblazer in cannabis. This is Trailblazing with Tiramisu.
0: Today on Trailblazing with Masu, we have an expert here discussing something every single person in the cannabis industry needs at some point, money. This episode is loaded with valuable tips on raising capital for your cannabis business, as well as some insights for potential investors. David Kunick is an entrepreneur who is an investor relations advisor. In the past 16 years, David has started over 10 companies in both the public and private sector, many of which he has successfully sold. He has helped companies and clients in securing millions of dollars in the cannabis and hemp space, as well as traditional industries. Dr. David, as he is also known, is a licensed physical therapist adding medical cannabis insight to his business advice. David gives presentations and speaks at conferences nationally on a variety of topics in business, the medical sector, and of course the cannabis industry. You might want to take some notes on this one, ladies and gentlemen. My friend, David Cunin. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Let's let's we'll get into shit. So let, yeah. let's officially start. So yeah, tell me how. Tell me a little bit about your background. You know, what makes you unique? You have I I read on your LinkedIn page. Page, you're like a three-headed dragon or something. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so, so, tell me the dragon story. What's uh, what's Doctor so, David's
1: background? So, the dragon story <laughs> just came up, uh, literally in 2019, and it was really unique. I was sitting at a uh, an investor pitch deck meeting in Manhattan, and I was probably the youngest guy in the room by at least 10 <laughs> or 15 years. Uh, It was one of those type of scenarios where everyone there is worth at least eight figures or more. And the guy was giving a presentation and he was talking about uh, CBD and how they want to do some stuff in the CBD sector. And he's talking about being a business owner and entrepreneur. And he had a little bit of uh, experience because he used to work for a professional sports team. And so he's used to working with athletes and he's giving his pitch and Towards the end, after the pitch, people are asking questions and some of the most obvious questions weren't being uh, asked. So I, in a kind of polite way, and this is the first time I'm at this meeting and like, people know me as an outgoing guy and I can carry my own, but sometimes I'm an introvert. You know, I I use two ears, one mouth, use them proportionally. (laughs) So I'm listening and I kind of said, hey, I don't want to be rude here, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only person here that's been in cannabis for over a decade and has also been the healthcare field for over 15 years. Like I can kind of talk about combining the two. I, I asked my question, and the guy who literally was presenting goes, "God damn it, you are like a triple-headed dragon." And I'm like, uh, 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 And I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "You're the only guy in this room that's, that's been an entrepreneur business owner for over 15 years. You said you've been in the medical field for over 15 years, and you've been in, in weed for over 10 years. You're the only guy in this entire room that's, that literally has all three of those sectors for over a decade of experience. You're a triple-headed dragon. Yeah. You're kinda,
0: that's kinda awesome. From there.
1: So, um, yeah, well, that, I, that's kind of how that came about.
0: I would agree with him. You're definitely one of the people and that's why I wanted to have you on is when I talk to you, I always walk away with some little like new nugget of wisdom. Like I always am like, right, that's a brain. I need to pick every time I see him. (laughs) Which is annoying because I hate when people do that to me. But you're a smart guy and and you are smart in a lot of ways that I struggle with and I think probably a lot of listeners struggle with. I think investing for the people it comes natural to is amazing. But I think for a lot of us it's like this Rubik's Cube that we don't know how to crack. Like um and and recently like i was texting you this week about the show shark tank and i think when people hear investing that's the first thing they think of oh you should go on shark tank girl like you know that's most the commoners that's their perception of what investing is and getting an investor and certainly for me i look back even just a few years ago and i was looking for an investor and i went to a conference and i was like I got my little shark pitch and hi, my name's Tara and blah, 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 <laughs> you know? And I literally was going up to people at conferences being like, oh, you have money, blah, blah, blah. And, <laughs> and then they were like, "Um, can, can you send me your deck? And I was like, oh, oh, I don't have a deck. And then my like, guy was like, oh, well, how about your business plan? I was like a business plan. I thought all I needed to know was these are my sales and I'm offering this, you know? So it really just, it sells this false hope of what investing is, you know? So I I did my deck and then I I wrote my 35 page business plan. And then you realize you give that to someone and they don't read it. They push it to the side and say, okay, sum it up for me. And you're like, I worked for a month on that, you know? And then, you know, so then someone says financials. So you sit down with an accountant and you do five year projections. And then they push that aside and they say, well, what are your sales right now? And you're like, yep. well, no, I just did the plan and the deck and the projections and this. And you're still, it's never enough. And you just, its so. it took for me years of learning. So how do people not do what I did, which is do it the very hard way and learn,
1: you know? So you bring up a few, a few, uh, a few key points. So there's something that I use, which is called the positive power of negative preparation. All right. And so, once again, positive power of negative preparation, which means that you need to have an answer and play devil's advocate. And I, it's something that I've been using since my very first company. I started back in 2004, 2005. And because sometimes you'll spend three or four hours preparing for a meeting that lasted less than 10 minutes. And then you're like, <laughs> I did all that time for less than 10 minutes. But yeah, because you were prepared. All right. And what's interesting when it comes to, uh in investor relations and getting capital, you need to prepare this much stuff, but you're only gonna get asked that much. And that's what people don't understand. You need to have this much stuff prepared ahead of time, but every investor's different and go from there. And, and what's interesting, you mentioned Shark Tank. Um, people forget Kevin Harrington, um, was one of the original sharks from Shark Tank on season one. Um, him and I have actually been on the same uh, TV show out in California uh, called uh, Money TV. Um, we've been on a couple episodes together, so I've actually been able to talk directly with him. I remember my very first booth I had at the MJ biz conference in Las Vegas, the very first show they had in Vegas. I was there with a big, ugly purple sign with a running man on it (laughs) because, uh, there, I won't say which one, but there's a very well-known, uh, vaporizer company on the West coast. I was right next to us and I'm still friendly with that guy and he still busts my chops. He's like, remember that big, ugly purple sign you had? (laughs) and uh and Kevin O'Leary came with like CNN or MSNBC just for the PR and that's when I was in the testing lab sector and um it was interesting because Kevin O'Leary comes over and at that point I was in my early 30s and he's like so do you grow weed no sir do you sell weed no sir so you're just kind of testing it yes sir for you are kind of like quality control Yes, sir. You're a smart young man. You actually like <laughs> in some places, and that's it, just walks away. It was like a quick little cameo, but uh, that's funny. <clears throat> but it's also interesting to talk about the Shark Tank thing because um, now like I've I've been very lucky to be a judge for mm-hmm. several of these like Shark Tank uh, type of things for um, cannabis companies, yeah. And it's interesting because if you were to go raise capital for a non cannabis company or non hemp company. A lot of people kind of know the information they need ahead of time, but there are so many young, not saying in age, but in experience, young entrepreneurs or young business owners, they don't know what they need. Yeah. And um, yeah. as an investor relations advisor, and that's how pretty much UCS Advisors was born, was out of need. Um, I've been very fortunate to have started 13 companies in the last 16 years. I, I've sold seven of them. I, I've raised over $20 million just for my own companies. Um, I had, I've had over hundreds of investors. Um, so it it really is an art, and people need to be educated. And the other thing is too, is that no one teaches you in college. Oh, how how do you go attract investors? Yay. No no one (laughs) one tells you exactly what you need. And, and there's a lot of smaller companies out there that only need like $50,000 or like two or $300,000. So you don't need all this huge stuff, but you still kind of need this stuff.
0: But so you bring up a a great point is they don't teach you how to find investors, but the people who are good at getting an investor, it's almost an entirely different skill set. It doesn't mean they're good at running a business. Like I know all the ins and outs I've bootstrapped. I've built my company over the past 10 years. I know how to run a business, but when you get in front of an investor, a lot of times they are people who just made their money punching a clock or, you know, family money, whatever it is, it doesn't mean they necessarily can recognize the vision, first off, of an entrepreneur of a startup, you know, and and also that you know how to run a business. They're looking at black and white, at numbers, at whatever kind of variables are in their head. And I see time and again people who I know, like you, could just look at their plan and be like, "Oh my God, you're gonna fail. You're gonna fail spectacularly." And then you see them raise a ton of money because they're good at that. They're, they have that skill set. So for
1: people who lack that skill,
0: how how do you develop that?
1: So, two part answer. One is networking skills. And I cannot stress this enough. Um, The one thing that I find in the cannabis and hemp sector a lot, and I know it's going to upset people, is the lack of networking skills. Hmm. And how many bad, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Or how many common mistakes are you still? where people are losing out on opportunities constantly, and people also don't know how to, how to network properly and to build that proper relationship. So right off the bat, a lot of investor relations work is having good networking skills and know how, knowing how to develop those skills. Um, you know, a great example is um, Adam Connors teaches a, has a company called NetworkWise. He actually teaches a networking certification class. It's one of the first in the country, and it's less than 300 bucks. And he really gives you the roadmap. Um, Adam, actually, I had him speak with me in Atlantic City last year for uh, NECAN, Atlantic City. And we put on over a three-hour seminar and talking with the directors. We want to talk about investor relations. But I said, hey, listen, half investor relations work is just networking skills Hmm. and developing your network. Can I bring in Adam to help me with this? And at first, like we'll see, but people were floored by it. People were like, wow, I had no idea I was going about this the wrong way. But that's something we have to have is networking skills. And the second part is, know your audience. A lot of people, when you said, Tara, point blank, like, hey, I worked on this huge business plan, but all they're like, what are your current numbers? Or, I worked on five-year projection, but the only one I know is the last six months, is if, when you develop your networking skills, you know what your audience is, and you'll know what you need to talk to them about. And one of the biggest mistakes that happens with pitches, when people are pitching their businesses, they're so laser focused that they don't know how to adapt on the fly or they're they're not using that positive power and negative preparation where someone will ask one question, they're like, uh, um, uh, and then it totally turns off the investor.
0: So something that someone told me recently is that I'm only looking at what I want. I'm not looking at what the investor wants and needs. So, and and I was like, Oh, that's actually really good feedback. Um, so what, do investors want and need? What buzzwords are they looking for? What do they want to hear?
1: What makes a pitch appealing to investors? Well, one is timing. And that's a lot of times what people forget like um, COVID 19, just because it's happening. Um, if you have your act together, meaning you have everything put together, and there's a lot of family offices that have money right now and they're looking for deals but you have to have everything together. But a lot of deals they're looking for are people that need 2 million, 3 million, $4 million. Okay. They're not looking at the smaller stuff. Right. The other thing is too, is that sometimes investors like they'll get their ebbs and flows and they're going to get a return on investment from another deal. Then they'll take that money and that profit that they made. And then they want to reinvest in something new. So you have the timing as well too. Um, in terms of buzzwords, you know, this goes back to, um, what we call having a a one page executive summary, like hey, I have this thirty five page business plan, they, and you just said can someone sum it up? One of the biggest mistakes we see all the time is I go, great, you sent me a forty page deck, <laughs> give me your one page summary. Yeah. Well, I don't have that. I go, well, no offense, you want to be able to give out a one page summary, that does not, I repeat, does not require a non disclosure agreement that yeah. you can freely give out to anyone all right and those where you want to start using the buzzwords like hey uh rare opportunity or a unique opportunity um high return on investment um the other thing is too a lot of people well i say okay what kind of money do you want great example is i had a call with a with a client of mine uh they've been around with with us for about seven eight months and we've raised them a couple hundred thousand dollars and We could have raised them easily over a million, but they keep changing their mind on what they want. Do you want a loan? Yeah. Do you want a convertible note? Do you want to give up equity? They keep changing their mind. And if you don't know what you're offering, how can you attract the right type of investor? Yes. And 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 I, I hate when people say, Oh, well, I really want a strategic partner. I go, Great. So you want to give up control of your company and you want someone to literally approve almost all your decisions. Oh, no, 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 I don't want that. Well, that's why a lot of times a strategic partner is. Well, Shark Tank teaches you that word strategic. Yeah, partner. I mean, I used it, to say it, that. It, I did, yes. I mean, it, it does to a degree. Um, yeah. But it's also knowing what those options are and how you're going to position yourself. Because yeah. the other thing is, too, like a great example is if you're raising money, you need to have a general idea. Well, remember, everything in life is up for negotiation. Yeah. You can always say no. But I, another, uh, I see a lot in cannabis and hemp. Uh, A potential investor is interested Yeah. and the client will say, no, I don't want to talk to them because I don't want to do that type of deal. No, do the meeting anyway. Yeah. Hear them out because maybe a deal can be bridged.
0: Well, that sounds like contradictory advice, Omuch, because you said it's the investor saying, well, I don't want to do that kind of deal. And you say, hear them out. But then you say, it's a flaw of people of not knowing what they're offering. So is it that- so, do both parties need to be flexible?
1: No, no, the investor won't be, majority of the time investor won't be flexible, mm-hmm. but you have to show them what other options are there. Okay. That's why you want to do the call. So here's an example, like, um, uh, let's use this is simple numbers. You need $100,000, all right? And you want to, you don't want to give up any equity at all. And you want to make it as a loan. And investor says, hey, I'll give you $100,000, but I want 25% of your company. A lot of times I say, no, I won't do the call. No, oh, okay. Do the call anyway. Yeah. Because you hear them out, fi- find out why they want their 25% equity. Yeah. Then tell them about the 25% equity when they're going to get paid out on that. You might say, hey, I'll give you up 25% of my company, but you're not going to see any, any dividends or anything for at least two years. Or how about this? You give me the $100,000, I'll do it as a partial loan and partial equity. Mm-hmm. You know, And this is where also a um, – and it's nice to have a, a, a investor relations advisor also help you with this. Where you might say, Great, I'll give you 25% equity, but if I can pay you back X amount of dollars by X time, your equity decreases. Yeah. Investors are open to ideas. Okay. You never want to say no right off the bat. Hear them out. Now, if the deal doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but it's also practice. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that's something that, that people forget about is that. Is this a practice of going through the motions and also getting some good constructive criticism from the investor as well too.
0: And and what do you think when investors say that, like, no, I want the equity, is it because they're looking for dividends or is everyone looking for that big cannabis, you know, buyout one day?
1: Two part answer. Um, One, sometimes investors are just naive and they think all they need is equity and they don't realize they're not going to get any money until there's a huge, you know, watershed moment or Mm -hmm. a big acquisition which could take many, many years. Um, so that's why they say I want equity. Um, and the second part is for some of the more seasoned investors, for certain opportunities, they see how big the company will grow, and that's why they want equity. Okay. Um, I'll, give, I'll give a great example. Um, we have a client that started with us pre-revenue, a CBD company. And within one year, they were able to get, uh, grow their company to get a valuation of a million dollars. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And he went out and he's raising ca- capital. And what he's doing is at a million-dollar valuation, he is selling off at uh, $15,000 uh, per small unit or 1.5% equity. Yeah. But he's very forthright with every investor. Listen, I'm building up the company to get acquired. The goal to, for the company is to be acquired in less than five years. Once we get offered over $8.5 million for the company, we're out, we're selling. Yeah. He's very blunt with the investor. He lets them know. Yes. And that makes it a lot more simplistic. And then other deals have been made. And you know, they actually have, uh, they land one, one guy who got part equity and part loan. Because mm-hmm. he, he did a little mixture of the two, but it's very clear on what your intentions are. Yeah. So...
0: And then for people who are getting equity, is it just always assume they're getting like pro rata dividends, or is it also someone told me it's just about like manipulating cash flow where you're not necessarily getting paid out your equity stake anyway?
1: Um <laughs> I don't know what whole, I'm talking about. Okay. That 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 is a huge rabbit hole. Okay. Because there's so many factors in play there. Okay. Um, like yeah, like you talked about before about people knowing the numbers. like There's a, a deal going on right now um, in uh, the central part of the U.S. And this company is raising $3 million. Uh, the person's a former Wall Street guy. Has a lot of Wall Street contacts. So he's really going after the Wall Street people who all they want to do is look at the numbers. They don't care about business operations. They don't care about who your master grower is. They don't care about who how many dispensers, they just care about the numbers, and for them, they know that their equity piece won't pay any dividends for at least two years. And the reason why he's able to get money is that he has a very clear and concise message. So people know right off the bat, versus other people where, hey, yeah, you're gonna start getting a dividend after this time or that time, or sometimes people with their equity piece they will say, hey, uh, we might do something after we hit this number. You no, know, But that's the difference between Someone who's going to get money and not. Hey, yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you 20% equity in my company. Great. When am I going to start getting paid out on it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. Well, why the hell would anyone <laughs> give you money then? Yeah. Versus someone who's like, yeah, I'll give you 20% e- uh, equity in my company. We're expected to have some payouts after 24 months or until we hit X amount of dollars for X yeah. amount of quarters in a row, then we'll start doing it. Whatever happens first.
0: And, and the dividend payouts is completely different than the payback schedule, correct? Exactly. See, I, I just feel like these are all things that are just not common knowledge. Like, I always thought like, oh, you get paid back by your dividends. No, no, and you have to pay them back, and then they get that. So it's, it's interesting when you say people are, you know, they don't know their answer. I think it's because they don't know they have to know. Like, I didn't know I had to know. When someone asked me that, I was like, oh, I just assume. You know, like sometimes you go to a lawyer, and they're like, it is a stock thing. There's a stock answer for this. There's a stock plan here. I just assumed when we got to that point, a lawyer walked in the room and was like, okay, you want to invest in her. Let's work this
1: out. Like I didn't know I had to know. Well, well, here's a piece of advice for everyone listening to this. Yeah. Is that always, you can always say it's up for negotiation. Yeah. there's nothing wrong saying that. And literally like, it's a very simple trick where it's, Hey, oh, that's what you want. Okay, you know what are you looking for. You know that's up for negotiation. Let's continue. Let's continue down the road. Let's, let's, we'll, we'll come back to that point. Let's let's worry about the other points mm-hmm. because it's amazing how many deals fall apart because people harp on just one thing. Yeah, and they forget about the bigger picture. And it's okay to say, hey, you know what? You you really want to get X amount back by this date? Okay, great. Now that we know that, what else do you want? Let's focus on all the other stuff because. If let's say there's 10 points and you can satisfy eight out of the 10 points, well, it's a good chance the investor, the potential investor, might be lenient on some of the other things he wants because you already gave him eight out of the 10 things he wanted. And so, so what what do you feel about maybe those those
0: ones that people have botched and they you know didn't know what they didn't know? Do you think maybe a year later, if now you come back and you're like, hey, you know what? Do most investors, once they pass on you, they're kind of done, like you wasted my time once? Or do you feel like people-
1: that, yes. goes back to, that goes back to networking skills, to be very yeah, quick. Okay. Um, if, you, if, you have, if you're doing your proper follow-ups, if you're using your spheres of influence, if um, not to sound like B&I, but giver's gain, um, something that we teach in, in um, our seminars, how to raise your social capital, raise capital, is yeah. just because someone says no to your deal doesn't mean you shouldn't refer them to someone else. Hmm. And one of the biggest mistakes we see all the time, and, and people ask me, <clears throat> I mean, I started 13 companies in very different sectors, in medical, yeah. uh, from physical therapy, personal training, yoga, Pilates, merchant <laughs> services, newsletter, chemist testing labs, uh, a vaporizer company, uh, extraction facility. Like, There's a lot of diversity here. But when someone says no to your deal, you can always say, hey, you know what? I, I deal with a lot of other entrepreneurs. What kind of deal are you looking for? Yeah. What do you want? I might know someone. And then if you connect them to the other person and that deal works out, you look like a champ. You look amazing. So then when that deal comes through and comes to fruition, they're going to come back to you. And this goes back to like an example, like financial advisors. Yeah. Some financial advisors love us here at UCS advisors. Some of us hate us. Right. Some of them hate us. And here's so, the reason why.
0: So we mentioned this before I, yeah. uh, before we officially started on, maybe I'll add it anyway, but you were describing that you're not a financial advisor. What UCS is, is you no. guys do investor relations. So yes. that's something totally different. And um, yeah. So tell people, I guess, the benefit of taking on someone like UCS where, you know, we're talking about all these things, uh, you know, give me both answers. Give me the person who can afford to hire you, what they get. But then for yeah. the person who's not ready to you know, financially take on an advisor, what are mm-hmm. kind of the DIY path? What books should they check out? I know you mentioned uh, someone before who had a, a great course. Yeah. So, yeah, do both.
1: All right. So uh, I'll finish the last segment real quick and then I'll answer that. So we, we are not financial advisors, but we work a lot with financial advisors, okay? Where financial advisors, they're having you invest in public markets, they're having you uh, hedge funds, public markets, and, but they're not showing you private deals. They also can't tell you to do anything in cannabis or hemp. And a lot of times they can't even do trades for you in cannabis and hemp, and even buy ah. stock. Hmm. A lot of people forget that. So where do you go if you want to invest in cannabis or hemp? Your options are limited. So what's interesting, we actually work with a lot of financial advisors in the Boston area, Denver area, Las Vegas area. For obvious reasons, there's a lot of cannabis there. -hmm. So when they say, "Oh, hey, we have a client that wants to put in fifty thousand dollars, and they're looking for an equity position or they're looking for something unique," hey, what would you recommend? And they'll give us a call, and you know we'll help them out. While other financial advisors, which happened, we did a survey of over thirty financial advisors in the fourth quarter here in New York City, and twenty-nine out of thirty financial advisors were like, "No, we'll never recommend anyone to you because we won't make any money from it." Hmm. And it's like, well, but if you do a good job and we do what we need to do, they're gonna come back and give you that money to keep investing. So it's that fine line you know, right there. Now, investor relations advisors, like we work uh, one of two ways, all right? For the first way we work is we, uh, from, as a serial entrepreneur, uh, I've been in your shoes. Uh, all my employees have all owned their own companies as well, at one point as well too. So we all understand the value of a dollar. And when you're starting off, You know, you, you have to make sure every dollar counts. So what we do is we do our advisory work by the hour, like a lawyer or an accountant. Okay. We are very cost effective. The reason why we do stuff by the hour is you don't know us. We don't know. And we don't know you. We don't know if we're gonna be the best fit for one another. So why are you going to go spend five or 10 or $20,000 on some big brokerage firm or some big business coach? and not know what you're getting, Yeah. all right? So what we do is we come in and we work by the hour where people will have us review their pitch deck or update their pitch deck. We will review their financial projections and tell them how to actually explain it to investors. Um, we, you mentioned like the summary, we we'll actually will help them develop their one page or two page executive summary. Um, we'll also do a lot of role playing. I mean, we do a ton of role playing. Huh. Um, actually, I have people pre- how to present because it's amazing how many people bomb their presentation in front of an investor
0: interesting.
1: And, and they go, Oh, well, well, I talked to my friends and they say it was good. I'm like, yeah, and that was your friends. <laughs> this is not what they do. Yeah. And, and a great example where we tell people all the time is you go to your best friend who's a lawyer and you say, Hey, can you, can you do a quick review of this contract? And Maybe they'll quickly review and they'll help you out. But yeah, if you want to make sure it's done the right way, you're going to pay the lawyer. Yeah. Same exact thing with investor relations advisor. So great example is, um, we are doing some, uh, there's a lot of uh, virtual uh, investor Shark Tank tanks coming up.
0: Mm-hmm. And we
1: have uh, several of our clients who are presenting. And they've actually paid us for only two or three hours of service just to review their presentation and review their pitch deck. And to help condense it. And also help prepare them with questions they're going to be asked. That goes back to using the positive power of negative preparation. So we work by the hour in a very cost efficient way.
0: So, so let me ask you this, for people who don't have upfront money to spend on consulting, um, like I was approached by someone who ended up being very unethical, and I, I mentioned this to you, I actually, you know, was sexually inappropriate. But, um, so I'm wondering if this is ethical, because I've heard mixed things. If he was willing to find an investor for me, and say he got his, you know, was finding, just use 100000 and then he marked up that investment and took a cut. Uh, and did it in like a broker way like that. Is that something ethical or is that – because that seems like really appealing to people who don't have money to pay for upfront consulting.
1: Well, one, right off the bat, and excuse my language, it's total bullshit. Everyone has some money to do a little upfront fees because at the end of the day, if you can't afford a lawyer, you can't afford an accountant, and to be very frank, uh, our 10 hours of service costs less than 200 bucks an hour. Yeah. Right. And I, and the reason why we also do the whole hourly thing is we do a minimum of two hours um, and our rate is uh, $235 an hour. If you prepay mm-hmm. for 10 hours, it goes down to 196. And we're so confident what we do, our hours are good for 12 months and we'll even give a refund for any unused hours. And the reason why we do that is because we know money's tight. But realistically speaking, and we tell people this all the time, hey, if, you, if you're not having success raising capital, and it's been a while if you can't afford even five hundred bucks to get some constructive criticism to learn what to do, then you're not really being that serious because you know what? I hate to say it, but it's true in any other business. free is only going to get you so far all right yeah. You have a lot of people too like you just said who are saying, "Oh, I can find you an investor and I'll take a cut well technically speaking that's that's a broker dealer and you have to have a yeah. broker dealer license to do that all right There's a lot of people in this industry that do that underneath the table, you know but all they're doing for lack of a term is taking a bunch of shit and throw it against the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Okay. Versus it's amazing where like one aspect of our, of our course we teach people is is what's called spheres of influence. And you'll be amazed how many people are like, I don't have friends and family I can show this to. And we don't want to look at this. it's like, no, actually go back and look at your network. I can guarantee you, you have at least 20 people, no matter what you can at least show this to and get some feedback from. Because you never know who knows who. And there's a proper way of asking and a proper way of doing this. You know, uh, people ask back, like, when I raised my first $250,000 back in 2004, people are like, how did you do that? Well, I actually reached out to about 50 to 60 friends and family and alumni. And, this and, that, and I just said, hey, would you mind taking a look at this and give me your feedback? I love your opinion. Yeah. You're not asking for money. And then all some people are like, wow, this is kind of interesting. You know, can I get involved in this? Right, hey, I have a friend who might want to get involved in this. and But you're also getting constructive criticism. You're getting feedback, all right? Where uh, most people, like you said, hey, what if uh, I presented and I messed up? Do I go back to them a year later at all or not? Yeah. And, and and the key is, hopefully, you already were in contact with them at least five or six times over that year in general. So then when you do go back, it's not like, oh, hey, I'm back again. You know, I,
0: I, I think that's a learning lesson. Because personally, I could say people who have shot me down, I I always take the kind of animosity of like, screw that guy. I can't wait till I make it and blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, he's dead to me. And yeah, you learn in business that no, you know what, maybe just, you know, eat it, suck it up and, you know, keep the person in your network. But, and and I think when you say like work your network, maybe now I would say absolutely. But, you know, when I was first out of college, you know, I have a very blue collar family, you know, everyone kind of just struggles to get by. I was one of the first in my family to go to college. So I think a lot of people don't you know maybe you know one guy who has money maybe you know so it then it really does come down to networking so
1: So, no no stop right there yeah the one of the biggest prefix ideas people have and they have to change their mindset is oh i don't know one person has money first you have to define what does have money mean okay Mm. and secondly especially when it comes to other people people that are in unions they have 401ks. They have pension plans. You'll yeah. be amazed how many people, especially when it comes to like friends and family, that might give you ten or fifteen k, and they'll actually take it out of their 401k, or they'll take it out of their pension plan, or they actually might take it against their long term and uh, their uh, their life insurance policy. Yeah. You know, it, it's amazing. You, you know, depending on what you're asking for, you know. You never know who knows who, and you never you never count, and I learned this at a very, very young age from my one of my business mentors, don't count other people's money. Because hmm. you never know who knows who. And a great example, I, I have a lot of clients in the state of Maine, and people joke around, they're like, Maine, no one has money, in Maine. I'm like, you know how many millionaires are in Maine that you have no idea that show up in like a flannel cut off jeans and like boots, but sure. they're worth like 20 million dollars. Like yeah. you, 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 never want to assume, and is and for your network and networking skills, people don't u- utilize LinkedIn enough. People don't realize when we talk about your contacts, that's high school, college, hobbies, religion. People that have kids, I joke around all the time. Like if your kids are in, are involved in anything, you have a whole huge database of people to reach out to and talk to. True. And true. And, and I'm going to circle back real quick also about um, investor relations advisors and like
0: yeah. about
1: the advisory side of things, because, you know, working by the hour, here's a great example. Um, we were referred to someone that is opening up a, uh, a grow facility in Massachusetts. I can't say where for privacy reasons, but I can say the state Massachusetts Massachusetts. Yeah. They had a very well done pitch deck, all right, but they hadn't raised one dollar. Not $1 in four months, they referred to us and they're like, no offense. We don't need you to do our pitch deck. We don't understand. We're not getting money. I go, great. And they hired us for 10 hours of service and they thought we were gonna get them an investor like this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, you know, it doesn't always work that way, but let's hear your pitch. They told us our, they told us their pitch and we're like, you have some major holes in your presentation. Why don't you try a few different ways? They update their deck. They spend about four to five hours updating a few tweaks and updating the presentation. And next thing you know, they raise over half a million dollars within 60 days after that. Wow. None of them came from our investors, our investor group, just they were just doing it the wrong way. And sure. that's a great example of, hey, they, they spend about a thousand bucks on just some general advisory services. Yeah. Now they paid on a credit card, which is perfectly fine because they're like, hey, cash is tight, but they saw the value of it. Yeah. They knew that we need just a little bit of help with that. Um, and that, and that's what's also interesting too, because we're in the very unique position where we work with a bunch of family offices, venture capitalists, but also a lot of, uh, accredited investors. Mm -hmm. And that's, what's key is that you have business coaches and, you know, they'll help you run your business. I'm not knocking them. We've worked with a lot of business coaches, but are they introducing you to investors? Are they getting you prepared for investors and and that's where we're very really lucky. We we're, we have that double-edged sword where one, we'll, we'll work with the companies to get them to yeah. that next level, show them what's up. But if it's a good deal, that might be a good fit for our investment group. Yeah. Then you know. So
0: I, I have found that like when you have an accredited investor though, they're not as interested in startups. Like I get, I talk to a lot of people who are like, we want to see this number in sales before you even approach us. So what about the people who are just, you know, getting started with their CBD line, their ancillary business, their dreams of owning a dispensary, whatever it is, but they have nothing to show. They just have a startup, an idea, and a passion. Like,
1: how do you? Well, so I don't agree with your statement about credit investors at all. Okay. I, that, I, I know you probably had some bad experiences probably with that. I'm coming um, at this like such a salty, like. No, no, product. it's okay because cause a lot of people are salty. That's why, But <laughs> yeah. but this goes back to the, The positive power, negative preparation. You have to have yourself together. Like, if you have an idea and uh, you think you want to do something, you shouldn't present it to an investor at all yet. Mm -hmm. You'll start doing your due diligence, start doing your recon work. Like, I I joke around people all the time, like, back in 2010, when I was raising over $10 million, it wasn't easy to raise $10 million in cannabis, let alone a million dollars in 2010. Sure. Now you have so many publicly traded companies, there's so many companies out there, there's no reason why you can't do your recon work. No, not recon,
0: but people who want to see sales.
1: But the thing is, though, it's it's more than just sales. Yeah. All right? Because now that accredited investor, that type of investor might only want revenue generating companies. Yes, exactly. And that's where, and that's okay. Then then that might not be your jam. That's not your investor. And that's okay. You know, you can then say to someone like that, okay, what kind of sales are you looking for? Because the one thing is that when people get shot down, they forget to ask the proper follow-up questions. Where, hey, I want revenue generating company. And like, here's a great example. We work with um, accredited investors that will do pre revenue. And we have credit investors that only want revenue of at least a million dollars or more a year. Yeah. Okay. But then you have to talk to those investors. Okay, great. What kind of return on investment are you looking for? What kind of equity are you looking for? Hey, if you start with this pre revenue company, you might get better equity. You might get a higher ROI. You know, you have a lot more opportunities and flexibility versus. Hey, this CBD company is doing 1.2 million dollars last year. Here's the deal: take it or leave it. Yeah, and a lot of that comes down to, to uh, explanations, but it also comes down to if you a current investor is like, "Hey, I only want revenue-generating companies." Okay, how much revenue? Well, you know, I'm really looking for at least fifty thousand dollars a month of sales. Okay, great. How long would you like them to average that for? A month, two months, three months a year? And and that's where you, as the business owner, the entrepreneur they might say no to you, but you might be able to refer someone else. But also you can now write down a note in your investor log, which a lot of companies, people don't do where I'm like for every investor that says no to you, you are keeping a journal or like a file of every person you pitched to when they said no, the reasons why they said no, because then as your company grows, you can now say, Hey, you know, this is what we did. And here's another great example. Um, I did not keep that
0: journal for the record.
1: Yeah. A a lot of people don't. (laughs) Yeah. And, 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 and it's, it's amazing where, you know, when you ask, you go back that year later, but here's another example. We worked with one company and last year they did $2.7 million. All right. And we had a bunch of, uh, of potential investors that we work with that said, Hey, we think this year was a fluke. If they are going to surpass last year's numbers, then we'll talk. Well, they did $2.8 million in the first quarter of this year during hmm. this whole COVID crisis. Wow. So we went back to those investors and said, hey, last year they did $4.2 million. Now they just did $2.8 million in the first quarter. And but... by the end of the second quarter, they'll be surpassing. Now they're like, wait, thank you for reaching back out to us. Thank you for remembering that. You know, let's talk yeah. again. So.
0: Yeah, I need to be less bitter because like someone like that, I'd be like, huh, look at that. Look at those sales. Now I want someone else because you passed on me, which is totally the wrong attitude. It's it's it's, it's, it's like
1: it, people forget, like I, yeah. I tell I give people the um that get uh like punch in the stomach, like the ones who say I'm gonna get acquired. Well, statistically speaking, less than ten percent of all companies get acquired. Yeah. You know, you have one in ten chance of getting acquired. Like when you for an a, an investor You'll be lucky to hit like a 3% closure rate. So every 100 people you pitch, you really? only land three of them. God. It's right? People forget that. Like anything over 5% is really high. So you can get a lot more no's than you are yeses. I would, I've never heard that statistic before. And that is just soberingly awful. But, but, but it's reality. Like, I mean, yeah. look at the Like we talked about Shark Tank for a second. Do you know how many people got rejected? And so got, got told no for their ideas. Everyone with a cannabis company, 100% rejection. (laughs) Yeah. True. But Uh, but I'm saying in general though, like, and even just like, I mean, look at fintech, look at technology companies, look at how many apps, I mean, let's, let's look at beer. Let's look at liquor company. I mean, so many companies just get rejected all the time for investments and they, and they get, it gets frustrating, but the, the closure rate's not very high. So and people how, forget that. So I know like we can't do
0: cannabis loans, but I, I had a call with someone the other day and um they were you know talking about being able to get loans for our industry where they could do it as a personal loan and then um they were also talking about they do loan partnerships where they take people you know, if yeah, you know, so all these different methods, but then it seemed like what the person was left with. And I see so many. You're talking about LinkedIn before. People have approached me with like, we raise capital for cannabis businesses all the time. Like, what percent is reasonable for them to be taking? What's a scam? Like, what what are some red flags for people to look out for? Because it seems like there's
1: a lot of predators out there right now. Great question, loaded question. Um, one is ask them if they are just a glorified middleman Mm -hmm. or if they're actually currently working with investors, family wealth offices. Um, A little trick I tell people is uh, you have some of these newer cannabis um, broker dealer forms saying, oh, we represent over 5,000 investors. And my question is great. How many of those investors have actually invested in the last year? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they're like, Oh, well, like only like 20 have, okay. So 20 out of 5,000 people, like that's not a very good number. No. Um, you know, like like example we talk about is, um, in the last 18 months, we have over 300 investors that have invested in deals that those are active investors. Those are people mm-hmm. who are actively looking for stuff. Now, wow. if we count the people that didn't do that, yeah, we, we got a couple thousand, but we don't count yeah. cause that's misleading. So very far off the bat is ask them if they're actually working with investors, actually ask them if they <clears throat> are working at the family health offices. Um, the other thing you can also ask too is examples. I mean, the one thing is it's interesting is I tell people, Hey, do you have any examples? Um, you know, something that we do here at UCS advisors is sometimes people are like, well, we don't want to pay for any hourly services. Just find us the money. That's it. And we're like, uh, huh? no, you know, like, because you, your deck isn't ready. You don't have the materials ready for us to go out there. Yeah. And it's our name and our reputation. We, we don't want to, You know, uh, ruin that. So, the other thing you also want to take a look at is testimonials. Um, Something that we do here is that we actually, if someone's kind of curious, we'll get them on the phone with someone else. Say, hey, this is this is what we did for another company. Mm No, you you can you can talk to them directly in our success, and it's amazing how many times we ask, say, hey, can I get a testimonial? People say no, (laughs) like, you know, I, I don't have a testimonial, or or say, hey. Can you you tell me how much money you have helped secure or raise in the last six months? And a lot of times you'll see those people say, Oh, like none, or, um, only like, you know, a hundred grand, like, you know, so you kind of know where where you're going with it. Um, so those are things to look at in terms of the different programs out there. There are a lot of programs out there. Um, you know, example, like there's a bank, uh, in, um, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. Where, mm-hmm. if you're a CBD company for at least two years, mm-hmm. we'll give you a fifty thousand dollars line of credit. Really? A lot of people forget that. Like, mm. um, but this is where also too, and and I'm not trying to plug my own company, but this is where having an investigations advisor, yeah, whether it's us or someone else, can help you because we have these relations. we know this information.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: You know, like it's like this is like, hey, what do you need? Where you know, a great example is um that we had another client and they needed uh, about twenty five dollars to $30,000. And they were trying to get an investor. And, I, and we looked at their books and we said, you guys are doing really well. Why don't you just get a line of credit? Oh, no, bank will give us a line of credit. Oh, no, we have a, we, we have a banker we're very friendly with. We'll call them right now for you. What? Huh? Yeah, can you get all your financial paperwork ready in the next week? Of course, great. And they got a $50,000 line of credit in less than three weeks. Wow. You know, so there's a smaller tricks of the trade. There's also... Um, Like another example, there's a a new company, uh, a CBD company um, in North Jersey, that's going to be opening up a store, but both owners own other companies. They need a $200,000 investment. We're like, your both your other companies are each doing over $800,000 a year. Go get a loan for your other company. Yeah. Then see like, but some of the most basic things that people just don't realize. Um, You know, you also, which, is high, but we have merchant service advances, yeah, which can be done. Uh, you have, depending on what, what's going on, you have bridge loans as well too. And, and the other thing is too, which people forget about, but if you want to give a, a first lien on something or a personal guarantee, it's mm-hmm. much easier to get capital. Um, it, it's amazing the people who, like I don't own a house, so I, I can't use a house at all you know, for myself, but when I was raising capital, before, I, I was putting liens on my businesses, on my equipment, on my car. Uh, at one point, I had to take out uh, a couple extra million dollars of life insurance policy on myself <laughs> and sign it over to investors in case something happened to me to, to make sure they would be paid back. Wow. But the fact that I was willing to do that. Creative. Well, it also shows that your, your, your sense of commitment yeah. and how much you believe in your company. And yeah. the reason why I bring this up is that... Um, Especially right now of COVID 19, we have a lot of people looking to invest in the private sector. The deals that are getting done right now are, are the company owners who are saying, Hey, you know what? Yeah, I need a hundred grand. I have my house. I'll put my house up as collateral until you until I pay back your hundred K. People are like, yeah. You're willing to do that? Yeah, I am because I, I I have that much confidence in what I'm doing. Yeah. That goes for or hey, I'm going to give a personal guarantee. And that goes a long way. And and people not majority of the time won't do that. And I'm not telling people they have to, but if you're an entrepreneur and you're a business owner, you believe in what you're doing and you, you know you're going to be successful on it,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: sometimes you got to stick with your gut and just put it out there. Yeah. You know? um, and that's why you made the comment before, like people that don't have that startup capital, I, like I said, it's total bullshit because as I tell people, don't get your Starbucks, don't go out to eat for a month, You know, cut back on this and that, and you'd be amazed how much money people can, can save. And I've seen so many successful people in this cannabis sector yeah, We went on the ultra lean. And one thing I talk about, which I'm more forthright about now, but like when I was CEO of my public trade company, at one point, I didn't take a salary for over two years. I had no health insurance, didn't take a salary. I was w- literally working at a long-term care center, teaching yeah. people how to walk, teaching grown men how to wipe their ass again and get them on and off a toilet. And yeah. I was doing that over 40 hours a week just so I can pay my own bills while still running my public trade company. Wow. You, know, like, you do what you need to do.
0: Yeah, I have a lot you of those know, stories.
1: You, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll never forget one time uh, I had this one investor and he was really busting my chops. And he's like, You can never talk between this time and this time. I'm like, Yeah, because I'm teaching people how to walk again. What, what do you mean? I knew his, his mother, unfortunately, just had a stroke. I'm like, Yeah. I go, Who do you think teaches your mom how to walk again? It's not the doctors, it's a the therapist. Mm-hmm. Who do you think teaching your mom how to get dressed again on her own? It ain't the doctors, it's a the therapist. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now to pay the bills because you, as my investor, told us point blank, you won't let any board member take a salary. Huh. And that was the sacrifice we had to take to take, to take your money in. And yeah. we were prepared to do that, but we had to do other things on ends meet. Now, if you, if you want to pay us a little something so we can give more time, then sure, to the company, we can do that. But that's where also, too, and, you know, I hate talking about Shark just because you brought up and I met him a couple times, but like Mark Cuban, he gets off yeah. on that stuff. He's like, hey, hustle, do what you need to do. Um, I think hustle
0: is great for so long. And then if hustle doesn't pay off quickly enough, then the table turns and you begin to see like, oh, well, now you're just a failure. You're not supposed to have to bootstrap that long. Something should have kicked in by now. But I've found that it, for me personally, like when I started, I always tell people, I started, I had a $5,000 credit card, not a penny in the bank. I lived off of 3,000 and I spent 2,000 to start Blazing Bakery. Um, and I lived off that for many months. So, uh, but you know, so you can turn a thousand into two, two and a four, you know, and then not even, I would say four into eight, there becomes a point where if you're doing small batch runs of something, you're not, uh, you're not making the margins, but then you get those purchase orders for, you know, $20,000, $40,000, whatever they are. And you need the capital at that point to scale. And if you don't get that investment, then then your business is crippled. And I know you said things like purchase or financing, that's not always available for cannabis. So I feel like that sacrifice and that bootstrapping, it is all there, but at a certain point, if you're not getting capital, it doesn't matter
1: because you can only do
0: so much with nothing.
1: And and I agree with you on that. And that's also where, um, what's your exit plan? What's your plan to grow? Um, As I also tell people too, how far are you willing to go? Like, Like, are you willing to look at every, you know, Single option out there. Yeah, um, it eludes me right now. Uh, but I forget the name of the loan company where you can get like a loan within three days, and they um, it's based off your account receivables. Um, okay. And I, I forget the name of it, but like we did a total of seventy plus thousand dollars of loans over the course of nine months because mm-hmm. we just had to. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's looking at every different angle, and also too, it also depends on the culture you're in as well. Also, like you go. Over, not to be a source object, but China, in yeah. China, if you start a business and you fail, they applaud you because you took the chance. You learn from it. And verse here in America, we tend to get poo-pooed a lot. Oh, you failed <laughs> on your business. Ha, 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 ha. No, it's yeah. okay. You know what? You, you, you took the sacrifice. You, you tried to do it. Yeah. Um, but it's really, you got to look at every angle out there yeah. and every scenario out there and it is, it, 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 you can, you get beat up, you know, you can really feel For you sure. get beat up because you get so many rejections yeah. and it's tough.
0: Or, I, I mean, I think that's a, just the optics thing. What could be seen as a failure could be seen as a, a victim of your own success. If you grow too fast and you don't get the capital soon enough and it comes crashing in because you couldn't finance it, then you were just too successful too soon. But it seems like investors don't see it that way. They don't see it as, oh, you were so successful. You, I don't know. I wouldn't say failed, but um, no. But yeah.
1: that, but that, but that goes back to planning,
0: though. Yeah,
1: and, and that's where a lot of people forget. It's why are you in this capital crunch? It's also how you talk about it. Like, I hear people sometimes when they pitch, they say some things, and I'm like, why are you saying that? Yeah. You are talking poorly about yourself. Like, if you are someone pitching an investor, the glass is always half full. It's never half empty. Yeah, and people sometimes inadvertently will have the wrong tone of voice. Yeah. Or they'll make a small little comment that that little comment, which is, has a negative tone, can really turn off an investor, a potential investor.
0: It seems like the one time we're being, not the one time, but it seems like a time where being heartfelt has like zero return. Like how you just said now, like where you were like, I was like teaching a guy to wipe his ass to fund my business. And that's a really heartfelt thing. And I think people relate to that and they say, oh, I, I've had those struggles. I know where he's been. It seems like during a pitch is the one time where if you admit any weakness or struggle or anything super sincere, it's a turnoff. Like you have to be an 11 and disagree. everything is perfect.
1: 110% disagree. Really? And here's the reason why. People talk about the personal stuff at the wrong time. Okay. And, and literally, I'm so happy you brought this up because <laughs> especially in cannabis, literally be here all the time when we first take on a new client. Well, I got on a canvas because of A, B, and C, because this milk condition, that milk condition, great. I don't want to hear your sob story right now. You okay. just lost me it's one yeah. of the most cardinal mistakes you need to literally talk about that heartfelt part at a certain time during your presentation okay and that's where people mess up and the other thing is too is that when you talk about the heartfelt stuff people tend to go on tangents no you want to just hit them with a the boom moment like bam oh my god you did what holy yeah. cow and then that resonates you know okay. And that, and that's where you can use it, it, just it's the timing of it. And this is where, as I joke around, like um, in other, like 65% of our business is canvas and hemp. 35% is everything else. And with everything else, it's interesting because those people tend to, to to get it like this. Like, hey, you know what? All right, yeah, I'm messing up by a certain part. Okay, great, I need to change it. While a lot of our canvas and hemp people, they tend to go on tangents about the heartfelt part. They can't yeah. go into too long. And listen, at the end of the day, it's money. It sounds horrible to say, but it's money, <laughs> yeah. but you need to use your heartfelt part because when you're pitching, remember you're telling a subjective story backed by objective data. Okay. And <clears throat> when people, and I'll use myself for an example, when we were raising some additional capital and, you know, with one investor, just, we couldn't do a certain time for a meeting. It was my fault. During the presentation, I put in there and say, please note that not one penny of your dollar will be used towards salary. We want to make this very clear because everyone on our board is working other jobs to make ends meet because we want every dollar to go towards this. Great example is the reason why I couldn't do the meeting earlier today was I was teaching a, a 78-year-old man how to walk again in mm-hmm. parallel bars. Yeah. That, that kind of hits home. Yeah. Now people say, oh, oh, so, oh, you, oh, you're a medical professional and you're doing medical marijuana well yes i am and then you go from there like it's you hit you have to hit your moments just right yeah all right so if
0: if someone wants to hire ucs like you said uh you know people spend under a thousand dollars to get started so is it the kind of thing where you you could do that with a lawyer oh he only has a small retainer and then that retainer only gets you so far and then it's you know what is, is their continuing costs if people come on board? Can, is that just selling a dream? Like, oh, it's only going to be $1,000 and I'm going to no, find no, it.
1: No, and that's a great question. I'm happy to bring that up. Um, so example, some people that know exactly what they need, yeah. like I mentioned, like the, some of these virtual investor, like canvas tanks, they only engage with us for three or four hours because like, hey, listen, we want to be prepared. We don't want to mess this up. We know that what you're going to teach us and educate us with is going to help us not only with this presentation, but many more. Okay. Mm-hmm. In terms of startup companies and we work with a lot of startups where remember the, the hours are good for 12 months. Yeah. where There's a lot of times where it's okay, great. We went through the first two hours. Here's your homework assignments. When you're ready, come back and we'll go from there. Yeah. Okay. Where we have people who literally sometimes it takes them up to 10 or 11 months to go through their 10 hours. And it's like, okay, great. We're on this first part. Uh, okay. Let's hold back. Let's see what's, you know, let, let's, let's go from there with things after we, we take care of X, Y, and Z. Um, so the other thing is too, it's part of that paying for that is also a reality check. And I'm going to use the state of New Jersey as a great example. One out of every three startup companies we talk to end up becoming investors instead of business owners hmm. because they go in and they say, Hey, I have a budget of X amount of dollars. This is what I want to do. We come in and we start telling them what's going to be needed, what's going to be required, cost, you know, what their competition is going to be like, what they have to plan for for the future. And all of a sudden they go, ooh, maybe I don't want to do all this. And that happens a lot, especially in this area. Like uh, like a great example is um, pain management doctors. We had several of them as clients who were going to open up uh, uh, medical marijuana certification places. And we went over how much in reality it was going to cost. And we also talked about their competition. Yeah, Two out of the three, payment doctors opted not to open up a facility. Yeah, and well, this, they all this, at,
0: this is not a great state for
1: that because it's just the cost of entry is so high. And I agree with you, but the yeah. way they looked at it was, okay, we paid for 10 hours of service, which costs us you know, less than two, two grand, but you mm-hmm. saved us over half a million dollars. That's worth it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's just another person where, um, you talk about, you know, the money and using New Jersey, and New York, again, we're very far behind on some things. And there are some people who only want to open up businesses right now in New York and New Jersey, and that's it. And that's fine with that. But here's a great example. You got $50,000, let's say already saved up and your business idea for whatever you want to do in cannabis or hemp isn't really going to come to fruition for at least a year to two years. Why not take that 50 grand, invest it in another company, make yeah. your money work for you. But also when you invest in another canvas or hemp company, the hood of the car opens up. You mm-hmm. get to learn so much more. Yeah. You get to learn about the business operations. You get to, you get to learn their network as well too. <clears throat> and it's amazing. A lot of people are like, wow, I never thought of it that way. I'm like, yes. Like, Depending on what your business idea is, it could still easily be here a year or two from now yeah you know uh it's also like you mentioned call like uh you know to enter the market here in new jersey is so high it uh, the cost to enter the market here in new jersey is going to drop dramatically in the next two years yeah because we're gonna it's going to be like california and colorado all over again yeah you i know, honestly
0: we- i just hit that point where like you're saying like why get married to a certain location i was very married to working in new jersey because it is my home state i've done a lot of activism here i helped craft the legislation like this was going to be my you know you know, Jersey girl. Uh, and just recently I've been like, what's going on in Massachusetts? What's going on in Maryland? Like I am, I'm done like anything in a day's drive right now. You know, I'm not flying to California yet. Let's see how this goes. But, um, yeah, it's just, um, you know, our state has been really disappointing to the cannabis industry and now we're just getting tied up and tied up. And I think I see a lot of flight right now of people who are looking for opportunities
1: in other States. Well, the other thing is too, is that the cost of markets cheaper, but also start getting your feet wet. Like the return on investment opportunities right now, yeah. it's still yeah. going down year after year after year after year. So I tell people, if you're going to wait another two years in Jersey, your ROI is not going to be as high. Why yeah. not take advantage of this elsewhere? Like yeah. if you're going to do this the right way, you know, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something that people need to think about because people do have that capital and it's like, what am I going to do? And a great example, we have these investors in Georgia and they've now invested in projects in Colorado, Massachusetts, and Maine. And they're still wanting to do something in Georgia, but they're like, you know, Georgia's taking way too long. Yeah. You know, we have money to play with. Let's, let's let's get involved now. And they've learned more in the last year and a half investing in these, these three different companies in three different states than they have in the last five years combined. Yep. And now they're kind of like, hey, when or if things even come to Georgia and kind of like the application process in New Jersey, what's your experience in this sector? Yep people forget a lot of like some of the people who applied for licenses made sure they invested and had experience in other companies and cannabis in other parts of the country. Yeah. Because they knew they got benefits from it.
0: Yeah. It's, 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 for me it's interesting because it comes down to loyalty a little bit. Well, how about, you know, paying respect to the people who didn't go to California and Colorado who tried to, if it was build ancillary companies here or work in research or whatever it was they could do in cannabis while not taking, you know, their money and their business out of Jersey. But now they're being pushed aside and we're having people from out of state and out of country, Canadian companies coming in. So yes. then it goes to, do you need uh, New Jersey ownership stakes? What percent of the company should be owned by Jersey residents? So we're at least giving something back to people here. But uh, I mean, to your point, yeah, the guy in Georgia now, instead of the people who actually live in Georgia benefiting, it's going to be people from other states. because. Yes, our- but, but the thing yeah. is,
1: Georgia will still benefit because they're still going to do something in Georgia. It's, a, it's about the time value of money. Yeah. They're not giving up on their state. Yeah. I mean, heck, I'm a prime example. I still live in New Jersey, yeah. but I have companies in multiple other states. Yeah. I still have a company in New Jersey. All right. Technically, I actually have two companies here in New Jersey, but because I still want to give back to the state, I still want to help, but I'm not going to sit myself, beat be myself over the head where, okay, great. I can, the opportunities are just elsewhere right now. Yeah. And, and even during this whole COVID 19 part, when people are asking, well, how can my business survive? The very first thing I say is, are you reaching out to people in other states? And they go, why would I do that? I go, why wouldn't you? Everything's virtual right now. You have, everyone has the opportunity right now to take part of networking events, investor relation events, investor forums, webinars all around the country. And they're accepting you to, to come to it because it's all virtual. Yeah.
0: I and- honestly like podcast guest right now, like I'm having you on cause I haven't been talking to you about my hempy hours lately. So I was like, I have David on, but I'm like putting off all my Jersey people. Cause I was like, now is the time where everyone's locked indoors and I might as well be, I could interview someone in California just the same as I could interview someone in, you know, Morristown. Yeah. So why not, you know, think more globally right now. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And you're like super motivational. Like I, I, I watch your things all the time. You uh, you, you have a very like, I don't know, Gary Vee, Tim Ferriss type thing going on mm-hmm. right now.
1: So uh, I enjoy connecting with yeah, you. Gary, I, met, I, I met Gary Vee numerous times before Gary Vee was Gary Vee because Gary Vee's family owns the Wine Library in Springfield, New Jersey. Yes, And I actually used to work at the physical therapy clinic right across the street from there. Oh, very cool. So when he started helping out there, we, a lot of our patients would go over there. We met him numerous times. So it's interesting to see where he is now oh yeah uh, and Love and then that's the other thing that's that's kind of cool like um to see some of the people now who are doing like the tv shows or uh on cannabis or different cannabis coverage i'm like yeah i remember that guy from eight years ago yeah i remember mm-hmm. going to events with him and like yeah you know it's just really interesting to see like the people that have grown people that are still in the industry the people who uh have really stuck it out um you know the one thing i, I tell people don't give up the fight don't give up on your dream Yeah. Um,
0: be willing you know, to achieve
1: greatness. Oh yep, uh, always be willing to achieve greatness. Uh, I mean, did, that, that's
0: did you get that trademarked yet? Uh,
1: no, not yet, not yet. Uh, it's something that that needs to be done. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just people have the opportunities, you know, and yeah, you you know, you can always pivot. And and the other thing is too is that, like, lawyers, accountants, uh, SEO people, website design people, like everyone's a lot of people getting involved in cannabis now because there's a lot of, of back and forth. There's a lot of cross synergies. Mm-hmm. And that's where when we talk to people and, you know, people do have sometimes bad experiences with investors and getting rejected, but we say, okay, take it another step further. Why are you getting ejected? What, why are you getting rejected? What do you need to do? And, you know, wh- what do you need to pivot potentially? Um, where do you have to maybe go, uh, think elsewhere? Um, You know, another thing is, is that, um, you know, whether you're using a brokerage firm, investigations advisor, a business coach, who's helping you find opportunities to pitch in front of other people and to get your, get your, your teaser out there uh, um, to people because all that plays a big part because people think, oh, I'm just going to give you something and someone's going to invest. No, like people do their due diligence. Yeah. You know, people also, you know, some people like, Hey, I'm investing in you. Not your Sorry. company, but in you. Other people yeah. are like, "No, I'm just investing in the company. I don't care if it's you at all or not." Yeah. You know, everyone's a little bit different. Everyone wants something. And
0: different. so you bring out something that has been a fear for mine. I'm sure for a lot of people who you know are not thinking as an investor, but are thinking as a business owner, and innovator, is um you know get it out there. Well, I think I have this great idea and this invention. It's not something I can copyright or patent. I'm not going to go through that but it's something I want an, an NDA before I show it to people. So, but then you say like, Oh, do you, um, you mentioned doing a referral program to me, which I thought was a great idea or just, you know, like you said, getting it out in general, social media, however it is. Um, what's the fine line there between putting it all out there, you know, especially if you only have, uh, you know, a couple new innovative sure. products.
1: So you ask a great question. Um, you just don't want to, let's break it down though. Okay. One you don't want to take your idea and just throw it all out there. Okay. Remember positive power, negative preparation. Okay. You want to make sure you have your idea together. I'm not saying you have to have a 40 page business plan, but you have to have a general outline. All right. Yeah. You kind of have to know how much money you're kind of looking to raise. You have to kind of know what the minimum investment is as well too. Um, So, but what we talk about a lot is you should be able to put together a one page teaser where you do not need an NDA. When people, say, when people say, oh, I have such a unique product and someone's gonna steal it. Listen, at the end of the day, you know there's so much copyright infringement. You know, If you really have the best idea since, since you know sliced bread, then really the very first thing you should be spending your money on is a patent attorney and trademark attorney, mm-hmm. which we've actually recommended to actually several of our clients, where we said, hey, forget going out and trying to do all this other stuff. You actually have a really good idea let's get the patent on it first or at least patent pending mm-hmm. because that's gonna be worth a whole lot more and you actually might get a license in play as yeah. well too. Um, but when you take that one page teaser that you have, that's what's going out to you, like your friends and family and your fringe friends. The key word is fringe friends because a lot of times you'll get investors who are friends of friends of friends.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know it's harnessing those relationships, but you need to develop that one pager where you're not giving away the kitchen sink. You need to give away just kind of say the general gist. Like, hey, here's the vision of the company. Here's where the company currently is. This is where the company is going. I'm looking for this much money. Minimum investment's this. Yeah. Would you like more information? Let me know. And then you give the me and potatoes. Yeah. And that's the stuff that you can kind of spread out there. Um, you know, a little trick we use is hey, there's like there's a rare opportunity where what if you'd be part of a multi million dollar CBD company? would you be interested in learning more? Yes. Great. You know, it's the same as like basic marketing. Like you can take a lot of, uh, B two C or even B two B marketing tricks and use them in cannabis all the time. And Hmm. it's being used all the time. Um, I mean, heck let's look at high times. I mean, when high times was, was trying doing their, their raise. I mean, if you read their financials, it didn't make sense to do that, but the way they marketed it, and who they marketed to, and how they made the investment brackets, the, the minimum investment so low, it really widened their huge investment you know, database. You know, That's a huge difference there, because let's take this another step further. And this happens all the time with us. And one of my favorite stories ever, client, oh, we need $1.8 million. Okay, and what's the minimum amount you need at $1.8 million? We need it all. Bullshit. What do you really need for the first six months? well, for the first six months, we only really need a half a million. Okay, great. That leaves you 1.3 million. What do you need the other money? Well, yeah. we don't know. We didn't figure that out. When we looked at what they needed, they only need $800,000, not 1.8 million. They would make enough money from their profits of $800,000 that they won't need that 1.8 million. For sure. So Then we, yeah. then we said, okay, are you looking for a strategic partner to actually have voting rights board seats and give you, and actually have a say in your decisions. And they're like, well, no, we want, we want uh, someone that, that, that is with us, but we don't want to give them any of those powers. Okay, great. What's the minimum investment? We want one person for 800 grand. Well, that takes our window from this to this. Yeah. So we said to them, great. Add that $800,000. Why don't we get eight investors eat each at a hundred thousand dollars. Oh, people would do that. Great. Why don't we do it as a loan? Because from your projections, you'll be able to pay back this loan in in 12 months. So why don't we make it a loan with 18 months and you guys have a bunch of land, put your land up uh, as collateral Mm -hmm. to pay back your loan. They went back and forth. Next thing you know, though, they were able to raise $400,000. Got four investors, each at $100,000 a pop. They raised $400,000 within 90 days. Wow. And they're like, this was so much easier you know we we, we tried for a year well yeah because people are like oh i want one person for that 1.8 million well that gives you a very 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 small window of people you can go after
0: yeah for sure and they also
1: didn't look at their books to say well they don't really need that full amount
0: well that's what uh, people ask me when they say like you know i want to turn this into just my particular current thing i'm raising for is a cbd line to go to a processing license well, they say well you need millions for a processing license Yeah, but in Jersey, like you said, we're very far off. So it comes about like all the little building blocks we have before that where we're going to self fund ourselves to a degree. So it's a much smaller raise, of course. So, uh, one last thing with the stealing thing, and then we'll wrap up because you've been very generous with your time. Um, So, what about like, so now you've signed the NDA and people are. And then it just feels like they're just pumping more and more information. And you're just, it's getting to the point where it's uncomfortable, where you've given them the secret sauce and then some, and you just, they have a whole company at this point they could basically run with. Now, if you're doing that with someone who's very wealthy and you're just a small startup, essentially they could just take everything and you can't afford to sue them the way they could sue you. So at what point do you say like, hey, are you going to invest or not? Because I can't just keep telling you
1: a whole business plan here? Or is it? Um, Well, first part is people steal ideas all the time. Yeah. It's about the execution, be very frank. Um, And that goes back to the patent and the trademark. You know, if you really think you have something special and unique, then go get that done, Yeah, you know, and go invest a couple grand in that as well too. Yeah. Um, And in terms of the investor, you know, unfortunately, one knowing your audience but you know asking just a general synopsis it's if you've gone through everything you can just flat out say point blank what is your level of interest yeah and they're like oh well, we're still deciding then so then you know it's the next follow up question okay when would you like for me to, to to follow up with you again yeah and they're like no we'll get back to you you say no please tell me a date hmm. and they're like well cuz then you just literally just give them all to me. I'm, hey sorry just so you know this offer that you have right now to invest at this level is, is changing on this date. That's it. I like it's it. It's simple. You know, you can just, you just give them a deadline. Yeah. I mean, it happens all the time. You know, um, if they're really serious, they might say something. If they think that they're the only person in the kitchen, they think you're going to keep you know, coming back. You know, it's a game wow. of poker as well too. Like True. that's something thing is too, is that there's a lot of negotiation tactics that occur with raising capital and people forget that. And not like I like to always use a poker analogy, but you're playing a game of poker. You know, you're not playing the hand you got, you're playing, you know, the person across the table. Yeah. And and you you have to go back and forth with that and sometimes you know you might lose opportunities because of that, but at least it gives you peace of mind. Yeah. And then it goes back to what you were saying before if you have someone at a deadline and they say no and let's say you now got some other money coming in, you can you can go and say hey, I know it didn't work out last time, but hey, we got some other investors. Here you go. Like a great example is no one. A lot of investors don't want to be the first money in. Yeah, That's, I have heard that. The first money in is the <laughs> toughest money, period. Mm-hmm. And uh, a new client we just onboarded last night got offered a twenty-five thousand dollars investment. He doesn't really want to do it, but he hasn't raised a dollar at all so far. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, we kind of went over the deal terms. And I'm like, it's not that bad of a deal. I go how many investors do you have in your database that said no contact me after your first money comes in he goes oh i got 17 people i go when's the last time you talked to all 17 of those people he goes i reach out to them every 60 days to give them updates i go great so you can take that money and go back and talk to those 17 investors that you already got first money in because remember people like to follow the leader
0: yeah you know a that's lot really- of people like to follow the leader that's really good advice. And I love the poker analogy. I grew up in like a poker household where we had a game every Sunday night. So totally, yeah, you should think of it as playing a hand. And, you know, that's, yeah. uh, that's I mean, awesome.
1: I mean, this is and this is where it's tough in this industry because everyone's starting at different places. And to be very frank, you don't need large brokerage firms. You don't need... You know, especially how much money you're raising, it's just a lot of times people just need a little guidance on which way to go. Yeah. And, and I I compare use advisors to business coaches at times. Okay. Yeah. We work with business coaches because a lot of business coaches they don't handle finances. They teach you how to run your company. They teach you how to how to you know grow your how to manage your employees. They'll teach you marketing. But then when you say, hey, great, if I had an extra three hundred thousand dollars, I can go from one location to three. Can you help me do that? They go. Uh, we don't kind of handle finances. Just get a line of credit or, or talk to a bank. Yeah. So we work with a lot of business coaches to teach people that aspect. And here, with a lot of cannabis and CBD companies, where they're smaller and they don't need as much capital, they just need a little help and guidance. Yeah. On, on, on how to attract and get that right investor, because you don't want to blow that opportunity. Yeah. You have want- one shot to make a first good impression. That's And it's and it's and it's very. And a great thing to do is if you go through your list of people you potentially want to talk to, let them know, hey, by the way, I'm having an updated deck and my deck will be updated by August 1st. Would you mind, it'd be okay if I send it to you for you to look at after it's completed. I'd love to hear your feedback. Sure. It's almost, it's almost June. Now people know, expect to hear from you in two months. Hmm. I mean, just something small like that goes a long way. Sure.
0: All right, dude, this has been so amazing. I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of really good advice and, uh, you know, punch up their decks and rework their networking plans and all that. So if people want to work with you, learn more, where can they find you at?
1: Uh, Mm UCSadvisor.com. So, and that's OR, not ER. And, or they can actually just uh, call our office line, which is uh, 201 252 7170. And uh, social media or uh, LinkedIn, uh, David Kunick. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn a lot, so always feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, Instagrams is David Kunick. Uh, at the end of the day, though, uh, Instagram is more personal, and mm-hmm. for business, it's LinkedIn. I cannot okay. stress enough how everyone needs to be on LinkedIn, and I cannot stress enough, especially if you're raising capital, that you need to be posting on LinkedIn at least three times a week. And p- people are losing out. And if you, as employees, almost 80% of all hires occur now through a, a reference through LinkedIn.
0: It's a high Interesting. number. Interesting. My and LinkedIn, I have more followers on LinkedIn than I do on all the other platforms combined. And it's funny because I do use it the least though, because I think I'm the most, um, I, I curate that the most you know, Instagram, I'll just throw up any kind of silliness, but I feel like if I'm not getting like press or like, and some like decent media coverage or something, I kind of skip LinkedIn more. But, um, I I think, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: it's, I mean, when it comes down to it, um, like myself, I was never allowed to have Instagram until 2018. Mm -hmm. And I was already running a public trade company before Instagram ever came out. So I wasn't allowed to have Instagram. So I'm very new to Instagram. I'll be forced to admit to it. Some of my friends are still busting my chops like, oh, I see you've now finally had it for two years. I'm like, yeah, and I'm still learning how it works. Um, Facebook, I, I think is really, for me, is really good for the local cannabis community. But when it comes to getting your message out to the masses, there's so much more power on LinkedIn. There's a lot of cannabis groups on LinkedIn, a lot of cannabis business professionals on LinkedIn as well, too. Um, we kind of joke around to a degree. If you want your business to be taken more serious in CBD or cannabis, you gotta do stuff on LinkedIn. Hmm. Um, and you'll be amazed how much opportunities will come from it as well, too.
0: Interesting. I should work that network more because, like I said, it's my biggest network. But it's I get caught up in the like you said, the more fun cannabis yeah you know side of it. But to yeah. Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much, David. And um, guys, you know, reach out, follow him. I, I could say this guy's doing some great things for our industry. Smart guy. All right. I
1: appreciate it. Thanks for having me today. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Bye.
0: Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Trailblazing with Masu. Trailblazers, if you could take one moment and go to Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and leave a review, it really helps other cannabis supporters find us and it would mean the world to me. We have new episodes every week, so make sure you're subscribed so you're always getting the latest trailblazing content. I would love to connect, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, as Blazin' Bakery, that's B-L-A-Z-I-N, Bakery. Check out Blazin'Bakery.com for awesome cannabis products, including our new CBD pet line, Blazin' Barkery, a company I founded with my dog, Diablo. As always, my name is Tara Masu. Love you all and keep on trailblazing.